0: You're listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast, conversations between girlfriends who have the knowledge and information to educate and empower you before, during, and after a divorce. We are here to remind you that you're grown and you got this. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Let's talk about mediation basics. I mean, 101, everything that you should know when considering mediation as an option for your process. If you've listened to episodes before, you know that when I reference process, I don't just mean the act of divorce. I mean, before we filed for a divorce, the active divorce and then post-divorce. One thing, as we'll discuss in detail later, is that mediation can be a part of your process at any stage, and that's really important to keep in mind, especially for those of our listeners who have not yet decided whether or not they are ready to file for divorce, or for those who are divorced and are dealing with parenting or other post-judgment, so the post-divorce issues. This is mediation basics, one-on-one, those things that as a mediator, but also as a lawyer and your, what I'm gonna say, resident girlfriend, you should know and I want you to hear it from me. So we're gonna break this into segments so that if you're taking notes, you can organize your notes. So I'm gonna lay out our segments first to help you as we go through this episode. So first we're gonna start out just with understanding divorce mediation. So our first segment will be about understanding divorce mediation. Then we'll talk about the mediation process. Our third segment will be common concerns and misconceptions. And then we'll end it with what I'll call real life experiences and just some touch points on things that I have seen both as an attorney as well as then a mediator as we round out um, today's episode. So, I hope you have a pen and a piece of paper or that you have some ability to take notes. If not, it's okay. You can always come back and listen to the episode. But I wanted to give you kind of the outline of the segments and discussion points, so that as you go through, you know the overarching kind of theme that we're dealing with. So starting out with, you know, our general understanding divorce mediation and what it really is and what it means. Mediation is a problem-solving process, and it's really important to understand that it's a problem-solving process, because unlike litigation, Litigation being the traditional process by which you go before a court and you put forth your position with supporting information and evidence. The other person puts forth their position with information and evidence. And then ultimately, after hearing both sides, the court makes a decision. Mediation is not that. Mediation is about problem solving. And so, In mediation, it allows for a dispute resolution, right? So we have a dispute, we have issues where we come together and we lay those issues on the table and then through the process of problem solving, which we work through by brainstorming, by discussion, by reality testing, all of these great things that we do as a part of the process to then ultimately resolve the problem. So when you're thinking about mediation, I want you to think about problem solving. You will hear that phrase several times throughout this episode, because I really want you to understand it's about solving problems. It is not about positions. Positions It's what we do in litigation. I take a position, I bring forth evidence and support my position, and then I'm asking the decision maker, the judge, to make the decision. Mediation, we're bringing forth and identifying the problems, and the mediator, who is not the judge, this person is a neutral person, helps us problem solve the issues before us. It's really important to understand so that when you think about engaging and involving in mediation, you know we are entering into a problem-solving process. I want to highlight the collaborative nature of mediation and the voluntary nature of mediation. Mediation is voluntary. Now, of course, there are exceptions. If you have a court order that says you are required to participate in mediation, well, of course, then that's not voluntary. You have to participate in the process. Nobody sent me an email saying, you said it was voluntary and then I got in trouble. No, ma'am. If you have a court order, you are required to participate in the process. But generally speaking, Mediation is voluntary and so when you're thinking about engaging in the mediation process, keep in mind that the other party, the other participant has to agree to be a part of the voluntary process. One of the things when I'm working with potential new clients I say to everybody is, you're not required to be here you are here because you choose to be here. And here's the thing, I know that the two of you can make agreements because you agreed to the mediation process. Whether or not you choose to make agreements going forward is another thing. But the fact that mediation is voluntary tells me that you can agree to participate in a process. As it relates to the collaborative nature of the process this is about collaboration and collaboration takes hard work you're not going to get everything that you want and neither is the other person and the reason for that is because in problem solving a part of that is compromise but we are working together we are collaborating we are brainstorming to reach a resolution that works for everybody. It is hard work. There is this misconception and I know I jumped a little bit ahead to the section on myths and misconceptions but I just cannot move past the misconception and the myth that mediation is kumbaya and it's easy and it's touchy-feely. It's not, it's hard work even in amicable divorces. It is hard work to compromise and to problem solve and to put yourself in the other person's seat. It takes real maturity and collaboration. But when it is done and done well, It is amazing and you will be very proud of yourself for sticking through it. So it's important to understand that mediation is a problem solving process that allows you to collaboratively and cooperatively work together to resolve problems. I want to frame out why one would agree to mediation instead of litigating, and I want to talk about the three Cs as I see them in terms of mediation, and that's control, cost effective, and collaboration. I'm gonna start with the collaboration because we were just talking about collaboration. It's the idea of coming together, collaborating, brainstorming, working together. When we think about co-parenting, it's important to remember that you are connected with this individual well past the age of 18. And so now is the opportunity to try to find your rhythm, find a system, find a way to communicate, collaborate, and work together for the benefit of your children. Mediation allows you the opportunity to really start exercising that muscle. Unlike litigation, where everybody is saying what they want and why they see it the way that they want it, in mediation, we really do sit down and talk through and problem solve how this works for everybody. So C number one is our collaboration. C number two, cost effective. It is cost effective even for private mediation. Here's why. You're paying one mediator for the two of you to come together to problem solve. Even if the mediator's retainer or hourly rate is more expensive than your individual attorney, it's not more expensive than both of you hiring attorneys and then by extension the filing fees and other costs that are involved in the traditional litigation process. Generally speaking, mediation costs about a third of what the traditional litigation cost is. Now, I don't know about you, but I am all about trying to get the most bang for my buck. And I can tell you that mediation is the way to do it. I will also share with you that if you are in a state or a county that offers free mediation services, you should look into it. And I know what you may be thinking, wait, what? Aren't you a private mediator? Why would you offer up that information? Well, because first and foremost, I think it's important that people know that there are free services available. I also don't ever worry about someone going to a free service and then that meaning that that somehow cuts into my bottom line. If you need those services, whether or not you financially needed or qualify seek out the services because it can help you at whatever stage of your process now there are some differences between free mediation services and private mediation services the first one being in private mediation services you know who the mediator is you have in most cases the opportunity to interview them ask questions learn about their background, their philosophy. Um, you can engage with them prior to being in the sessions. In most cases, in free mediation services, you are assigned a mediator. And so you don't actually have that level of interaction and engagement. And for some people, it's really important to kind of feel them out before you get involved. Second thing is, in some counties or states, depending on um, what your state laws require, you may not otherwise be entitled to or qualify for free mediation services. And so I don't want you to think that it is available to everybody, because depending on where you live, it may not be. But here's the thing, it's worth checking out. Because if you can get free mediation services to address your issues, then certainly take advantage of it. If free mediation doesn't work for you, you can always find a private mediator and then move in that direction. But I wanted to put it out there that it is important when we think about the idea of it being cost effective, that going through mediations, whether it's private or free, is going to generally be much less expensive than your traditional media uh, your traditional litigation process so keep that in mind it is cost effective and then the last c is control you control the outcome now i know what you're thinking girl i don't control the outcome because you have not met my soon-to-be ex or the co-parent i know i hear you but here's the thing reaching an agreement in mediation means that the two of you collectively, collaboratively have come to an agreement that's very different than handing over the control to a judge. Once you are in the traditional litigation process, you are handing over control. Let me say like this, if you want any say in where your kids are going day to day or who they're around, I suggest you really try mediation because the minute you turn over your parenting issues or your money concerns and questions to a judge, that train has left the station and it ain't coming back. So you really should consider at a minimum mediation if you want any kind of say and control over the outcome. Those are going to be my three C's, benefits of mediation, collaboration, cost effective, and control. Let's talk a bit about the mediator and what the mediator's role is. Again, we're still in our kind of section on understanding divorce mediation. Understanding that it's a problem-solving process I reference that the mediator is not the judge. That person is a neutral. Now, a lot of times people use the word neutral interchangeably when they're talking about a judge's role. Yes, a judge is a neutral, they are a non biased or an unbiased party or participant but frankly the decision maker in the process. The mediator is not. The mediator is the facilitator of the problem solving process. They are there to keep the ship moving forward. They are there to help referee the process so that everybody is planned by the same rules, we are understanding the same process, but they are ultimately not the decision maker. It's important to understand that distinction because when you are participating in the mediation process, the mediator is not the person to make decisions on your behalf. If you are looking for someone to make the decision, or if you think that the two of you cannot reach resolution, cannot reach agreement, and you do need somebody to say, here's how it's going to be, then you will need to head to traditional litigation because the mediator is not that person. Without going down the rabbit hole, I will say there are some mediators who follow what's called the evaluative process. Evaluative process is a way by which a mediator operates their mediation and it's really closely aligned to making recommendations or evaluating the proposals and giving some recommendation or weighing in on what an outcome could look like you may find that former judges or seasoned lawyers often do the evaluative process because they tend to have had experience in the courtroom to be able to surmise or to otherwise say, look, these are the risk of going to court. Here's what I would recommend most mediators try to err on the side of the facilitative process, and facilitative being we are facilitating the problem-solving process, we are asking questions, we are helping you brainstorm, we are reality testing, which really means we are calling you out on the unreasonableness or we are telling you based on our education and experience the chances of your argument or your position or your offer going anywhere. Um, That's generally the facilitative. You will find that um, there are mediators such as myself who does a hybrid. So depending on how things are proceeding in the mediation, I may take more of an evaluative approach in one area and a facilitative in another area, but I'm very clear throughout that at the end of the day, you have final say and control. I am not the judge and you want to make sure that if you are proceeding in mediation, you are very clear and have a clear understanding from the mediator where their line is they are not the judge, they are not to make final decisions, and your expectation of their ability to do so should be in check as you proceed in the process. So keeping in mind that the role of the mediator is as a neutral party, they are facilitating the problem-solving process, and they are there to help you guide through communication and get over the hurdles by which um, is preventing a resolution. So that's our understanding divorce mediation. We've had the opportunity to really kind of talk through what divorce mediation is, why there benefits. We've talked about our three C's of mediation and understanding the mediator's role. I want to now move into um, our second part of our Outline or our discussion, if you're following kind of along with your pen and paper, or if you're taking notes, I want to now move into the actual process of mediation. I get a lot of questions um, from participants who are interested in the process about how things get started and what is my process or what this looks like because. Most people don't have experience in mediation because why would they, right? It's the same with going through a divorce. Most people don't know what it's like to go through a divorce because they've never been through a divorce. And so I do want to take some time to kind of talk through the, here's what the process really is. But before we get there, how do you even find a mediator? How do you initiate that process, right? So before we even jump through the process, how do you find somebody? A few ways. One, if you are connected with a lawyer, or if you're interviewing lawyers, one of the things that I think is really important to ask um, a lawyer is, do you participate in mediation? And if so, you know, who do you recommend as mediators? What is your experience with um, mediation? Do you um, know of anybody who you would recommend? That's going to do two things for you. One, it's going to give you a clue into, is this somebody who I really want to work with if they are not interested in or don't um, actively um, participate or work with clients who are interested in mediation, if this is somebody who is really a litigator and trial attorney who is really only centered on going to court, then you might want to think twice if you are actually interested in mediation. So that's the first reason you want to ask a lawyer. The second one is if this is somebody who you know, does mediate or is familiar with mediation, there's a good chance that they have been in mediation um or have referred clients to mediation with kind of the local mediators or people who they recommend. And it's always helpful to get um, a recommendation from them. But here's the thing with any recommendation, you need to research and meet with that individual. Every mediator is not right for you. I am okay with people reaching out and then later making a decision to go with somebody else. I may not be the best fit for them. I may be too direct. I may be too hybrid esque and hybrid esque meaning the facilitative versus, um, being very much of a hardline evaluative, I may be um, a woman and they really wanted a man. And so I'm okay. And I don't take it personally when people go into a different direction, even if their lawyer had me on a short list of mediators. Don't be concerned about hurting the mediator's feelings if you decide to go in a different direction. You won't. They're a professional. So here's the thing. Interview them. Find somebody that's a good fit for you. If you don't know a lawyer or if you can't get recommendations, it doesn't hurt to do a Google search and see if you can identify mediators in your area that do parenting or divorce and family matters. Mediation has really kind of taken off especially since COVID in terms of online mediation services for divorce and family matters. So it's a good chance that you should be able to find somebody who can assist you um based on your needs. And then the third way to find somebody is to um, reach out to your local county clerk's office or go on the county website. Your county may have a list of what we call kind of court certified mediators. Uh, Some counties have them, other counties do not, but that's another good place to start, especially if you live in a state where mediation is mandatory um, or is uh, strongly recommended. There is a good chance that the court keeps both a um, certified mediator list, or their recommended mediator's list, or approved mediator's list, as well as then say the state offered or sponsored mediation services. So those would be the three ways connecting with a lawyer for a referral your own individual kind of research and then checking with your uh, county clerk or your state um, information. If you don't even have um, that or a baseline of that information, go to the Grown Girl Divorce website. We do have state resources and so that can kickstart your research and process. So now that we have figured out how we can even find somebody, let's move into initiating mediation. So initiating the process is really as simple as reaching out to a private mediator, whether that's through their website contact information or uh, via email um, or giving their office a call. Most mediators have a consultation, uh, whether it's complimentary or it. Is at a cost. It depends on um, the mediator. But generally speaking, think of it as the same way when you're interviewing lawyers that you want to know what their process is, how long they've been, you know, uh, mediating, what areas um, do they mediate. Some mediators will only do kind of the parenting matters, whereas others do both parenting and finances. Are they in person? Are they virtual only? And so you wanna have and be familiar with kind of um, questions um, as you prepare to interview these individuals. Again, I started out this podcast episode by saying this is a voluntary process. So I recommend if you can that both you and your ex or your co-parent come together for the consultation so that everybody hears the same information in real time from the mediator. Now, if you're not in a situation where the two of you, based on scheduling or your own comfort level, can meet with the mediator together, there's nothing wrong with scheduling two different, um, appointments for a consultation, assuming that the mediator is okay with that. Most consultations are about 15 to 30 minutes, and the reason for that is because generally you're not getting into all of the facts. It's about understanding their process, asking questions that are not case specific, because remember, this is a neutral. And so they wanna keep things very vanilla during this 15 to 30 minute um, process. So there's no questions from the other person about bias, right? We all know how it feels to be like, well, I didn't hear that, or I didn't know what you asked or what was said, Mediators are neutral and so most of the time they do want to meet with everybody for the consultation together, but if you cannot schedule it together, all is not lost, but know that they're likely to keep an arm's length approach as a part of that introductory um, consultation. In terms of how they structure their process, you want to ask that question during the session um, or the consultation. What's their structure? How many meetings before we all get together? Do we meet first individually? Do you require us to exchange information? Are lawyers required? Are we all together the entire time? So understanding their individual structure is really important. There are mediators who do what we call co-mediation. So what that means, it means that you have two mediators in the process and they are working together um, to help you as well. Find out who the other mediator who might be a part of the process. If the mediator that you're hiring is a lawyer, it's really important to understand their limits if they have any. In some states, the mediator, even though that they're a lawyer, cannot file documents on behalf of the participants. Be very clear about what the mediator can and cannot do once an agreement has been reached. I don't want you to assume that I've hired the mediator and they're going to take care of the entire divorce from soup to nuts. Nope. Don't make that assumption. Get very, very, very clear on what their limitations are. If they're a lawyer, what are the expectations and their requirements and responsibilities as a part of this process? Get very clear on that. If you have questions about their session structure after you've met with them, go back. Schedule another consultation if that is allowed or send an email. You wanna be very clear before you sign off on the process. Yes, it's voluntary, but you wanna go into the process eyes wide open. So know what the structure is so that you are very clear about what the expectations are as you move through the process. The same is true when you're thinking about the topics to be discussed and covered during mediation. You want to be very clear and have a good understanding of what the mediator would like to discuss per session. Some mediators will say, we'll just do what the participants want to want to do other mediators will say, well, here's the structure. I've now met with each of you. Here are the issues that I think we need to work through. And here's how we're going to work through. So you want to get very clear on that, but also have a note for yourself. Here are the topics that I want to make sure that are addressed as a part of mediation. And when you meet with the mediator, whether in the consultation or in your individual session, have that as kind of your checklist in discussion of here's what I would like to discuss as a part of mediation. This process can be so overwhelming and there's information overload. So having your notepad and having your checklist of here are the things that I want to discuss. Here's what I want to make sure that I cover can really help you when you become too overwhelmed. I will tell you, if you're writing things down and your mind is a buzz, here are very common topics that parties discuss in mediation. Parenting, decision making in parenting, parenting schedules, child support, child related expenses, college contribution, and what I call is the catch-all. The catch-all is often under kind of this parenting umbrella are things like Tattoos are things like, um, getting a cell phone or other technology use, things like significant others. Those areas where problems can occur, but we don't think of them as we do Parenting schedules or uh, decision making. So there is kind of that catch all of the other areas that you want to keep in mind and that people often think about. On the financial side, things like debt and, you know, asset division, spousal support. In some states, it's called maintenance or alimony. Taxes and non-marital or premarital property. Those are common areas of discussion in mediation. But here's the great thing about mediation. You can mediate anything where there's an issue. I have mediated pet custody and pet issues I have mediated the division of ornaments. I have mediated hair care and grooming. Anything that you can think of that is causing issues between you and the other person can be mediated. Now, should everything be mediated? No, probably not. And if you have a good mediator, they'll tell you straight out, this is not worth the time or the money for the two of you to go back and forth like this. But that said, we can try it. But here's the reality. So anything that you can think of in terms of a topic can generally be mediated whether or not it should be is another thing but as you're thinking about participating in the process it doesn't hurt to kind of have a running list of here are the areas that I want to make sure that we address as a part of our mediation process we are still in the you know our section 2 mediation process so I'm so thankful that you're still riding with me and hanging in tight um, let's talk a little bit about legal guidance and um, our kind of legal involvement. So one thing that I think is really important is to understand that even in a mediated agreement, it is a good idea to have a lawyer set eyes on it. Some lawyers will do what we call kind of a limited scope or a limited engagement where you can take the to them the um, mediation terms and ask them to give kind of their high-level thoughts on does this make sense? Um, What are your thoughts generally? That doesn't mean every lawyer is going to do that for you. Let me be very clear. Um, Lawyers know how risky it can be to give kind of one-off or limited advice because the minute you give someone advice they hold on to that and when things don't go their way then they're coming looking for you and so do not be surprised if you call around and several people will say well I'm sorry I just don't have enough information or we don't do limited engagements we're happy to represent you but here's what we would require because we are professionals and we do have what we call malpractice insurance and malpractice liability. And so lawyers such as myself get very nervous about giving people um, advice with only having very limited information because you don't want to give people bad advice. We know that it can impact their life. And so don't get concerned if someone says, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It may just mean that they don't have enough information to really give you the kind of comprehensive advice that you need based on the information that you're sharing with them. Okay. Um, the other thing is working with a lawyer can provide valuable insights, and I'm not just saying this as someone who has spent a career doing um the exact kind of thing that we're talking about, which is really weighing in on your pros and cons and really trying to keep you out of court long-term. So working with and sitting down with a lawyer and really having them walk through with you, here's what you waived or here's what you're entitled to, but I understand why you agreed to this because of the cost-benefit analysis of going to court. I always, always, always think that if you can have a lawyer put eyes on your mediated agreement before you have it finalized and entered into a final judgment. The reason for that is simple. I don't want you to find yourself having to come back to court later and saying woulda, shoulda, coulda, okay? So do it right the first time, make sure you understand what you're agreeing to, make sure you are educated about everything that is a part of your process so that when that judgment is entered, you feel confident in knowing that you did and understood everything that you could. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times where you're like, I am 98% sure. 98% is better than being only 50% sure or 60% sure. You want to be soundly comfortable with, the decisions and the agreements that you made. Nothing will ever have you 100% because nothing is ever perfect. But the closer you can get to feeling good about the decisions that you made based on the information that you exchanged and were provided during the mediation process, the better off you are long term. Okay. So that's our mediation process. We're moving right along. We've tackled understanding divorce mediation. We've moved through an understanding of the process. So let's walk right into, you know, our concerns and our misconceptions. Okay. So, um, there are a couple of episodes, our podcast episodes that are the Q and A episodes. And there are two episodes in particular that deal with parenting questions. Um, And if you haven't already, I really recommend that you go and you check those out. And the reason for that is because as we go into addressing concerns in mediation, some of the very questions that are asked and then answered in those episodes are some of the common concerns that individuals also have about mediation. The first being, you know, can I trust that um, my soon-to-be ex or the co-parent is being honest about things in the mediated process? Here's the thing I say to everybody. We are all adults here. And I am holding everybody here to the level of expectation that I hold anybody else who is an adult. And so... When the issues of trust and disclosure come into play, I am very clear about the importance of being trustworthy throughout the process. Understand that if you are really concerned about the information that is being shared or that the co-parent or your soon-to-be ex is telling you one thing but telling the mediator something else, this may be the opportunity for you to request attorney-assisted mediation. Attorney-assisted mediation is the process by which both you and the other person have attorneys who are active and participate in the actual session. Generally, that mitigates any concerns about trust and trustworthiness because now there's an added level of uh, protection. There's other sets of eyes. And arguably, if something doesn't kind of pass the lawyer smell test, then lawyers are likely to move the case into traditional litigation. So concern about trust and trustworthiness, that can be addressed by changing the format of the process to attorney-assisted mediation. But if you're saying to yourself, girl, I can't afford to hire a lawyer and the mediator, then write down what your concerns are in terms of the trust factor what are you concerned about, why is it a concern, and what is the ask of the mediator. So when you're in a consultation or in your individual session, you can discuss that with them directly and get their response on how they can help bridge that trust gap. The great thing about meeting with more than one mediator is that you will find somebody who hits the nail on the head in terms of the response that you might be looking for. Trust is a big concern, but there are ways to address trust. Another concern, of course, is how long is this going to take? Well, it's gonna take you as long as it needs to problem solve, so let's manage our expectations, let's slow down, and let's do the work to get you where you need to be. I'll be the first to say, it's not gonna take an hour. It might take y'all an hour to get on the same page to actually productively talking. So give yourself the time to work through this in a way that makes the most sense. It's cost effective, which means that even if it takes you several sessions to get this thing done, I can promise you that going to court is not likely to be faster and certainly not going to be cheaper. If it's faster, that means it's likely an emergency issue or that people have moved mountains to address it and that comes at a cost. So just be mindful. Take the time that it needs to move through productively. But of course, if you are now on session eight of mediation and y'all are still talking about the same holiday schedule that you've been talking about since day one, you might need to move into a different process. This may not be the process for the two of you. So timing, give it some time, but also be realistic about what that can be. Another concern, of course, is, you know, the structure and the format. Am I going to have to sit in the same room with this person? Will I be, um, you know, expected to give voice to um, my issues? How does this work? Those are the kinds of questions that you really want to find out during the consultation. So, again, you know, when you are up at 2 a.m. or during your lunch break and you are thinking about your divorce or what this process looks like, write down those questions so that when you meet with the mediator, you have those questions at the ready to go over with him or her. The mediator is neutral and they are committed to a fair process you can rest assured that somebody who has chosen this as a career is really interested in helping people see problems through to resolution, okay? So as you're working or identifying um, a mediator, keep in mind that this is an individual who has chosen this as a process, and so give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt that they are going to do what they can to help the two of you reach a resolution. Every mediator is not a lawyer, and they don't have to be a lawyer. There's no requirements that mediation, mediators are lawyers. In some states, in order for them to file documents, they may have to be a lawyer. However, mediators can, and in fact are, therapist, they are social workers, they are teachers, um, they are lawyers but maybe not family lawyers, they are former judges. The mediation process and someone who is identified as a mediator doesn't necessarily have to be a lawyer unless there is some specific uh, requirement that they are to meet based on where you're uh, jurisdiction or uh, the state requirements are. So keep that in mind, depending on what their background is, they may approach the process differently, but at the end of the day, they have chosen this line of work um, so that they can otherwise help problem-solve um, to reach resolution, all right? So your concerns are warranted, your concerns are valid, write them down so that you can get them answered. I told y'all earlier about my misconceptions and how, you know, there are some things that I just cannot deal with in terms of myths and misconceptions. I already said this idea that And mediation, it's all kumbaya and everybody's just, you know, all in love and being nice. That is not what happens. Mediation is tough and it is problem solving and it takes a level of maturity. Now, there are some couples who are not um, acrimonious at all and are really loving and very much in tune with with one another, but for whatever reason, can't come to resolution on certain things and and need a neutral. So wherever you are, whatever your relationship is, it's okay. But I don't want you to think that just because you and the other person do not communicate well, or don't um, get along very well, that mediation isn't for you. It very much is for you, and you can very, very much do this. You just have to have a level of maturity that not everybody has. And so um keep that in mind as you proceed through the process. Another kind of, you know, misconception or myth is, of course, The mediator's role. We talked about it a minute ago, but I want to reiterate and underline and bold and do all the things so that you are clear. The mediator is a neutral. They are not the judge. They will not make the decisions. Even if the mediator is a lawyer, they are not your lawyer. They cannot give you legal advice. If the mediator is a therapist, they are not your therapist. They are not acting in the therapy uh, space. They are acting in the role of a mediator. Keep that in mind. The mediator is not your friend, okay? And and that's a hard one oftentimes for people. We are talking about intimate things and you, you connect with people and have a relationship. They are a professional and you are a participant in this professional process. Keep that in mind, it doesn't mean that they are not interested in your kids or that small talk is not appropriate. But at the end of the day, you have a professional relationship. And so you want to keep that. Another, um, you know, misconception is that mediators are not, uh, otherwise litigators. And I'm going to tell you right now, I litigated and a, the trial attorney and me or the, the, um, my ability to argue a case has not gone away simply because I now step in the role of a mediator. What I am able to do, though, is to think about all of the different sides that one would otherwise argue in court as we problem solve. And so there's a benefit to that. But I say that because oftentimes, again, um, individuals think, oh, because the mediator is a mediator, that they will otherwise uh, not know how to analyze or to um, put together a position statement or to pull out the argument um, issues. When in most cases, mediators Come from a background in traditional litigation. So don't let the niceties fool you. Um, you know, most mediators are pretty tough litigators. Last piece of this, and I want to round out our concerns and misconceptions are, you know, the challenges. There are challenges in mediation, it is not a perfect process. Sometimes individuals are not ready to participate in mediation, and by ready, meaning you're not organized, you haven't done any of kind of the preparation, you don't know what you're asking for, you don't know what topics to discuss, you're coming with this expectation that the mediator is going to make the decisions, don't do that, don't do that to yourself, don't do that to the mediator, you want to come prepared, you want to be armed with information you want to come ready to problem solve. That can be a challenge. But I also want to make sure that I emphasize the importance of being patient and committing to the process. One challenge that I see often in mediation is that people have decided that the process isn't going to work two minutes in. Give this a chance. It's hard But it can work, but you have to really give it a a good chance. So commit to the process and trying to see it through, recognizing that it is problem solving. All right, great. As we round things out and, you know, close out our episode, I just want to touch on a couple of things. Um, I know that this can be done regardless of your situation and your circumstances. How do I know? Because I've seen it. I've seen very litigious, acrimonious, mean-spirited couples work really hard to mediate their case. I've seen people start a trial, recognize that if the judge goes through with the trial that they are going to be forever stuck with the judge's ultimate decision and they wanted to really take back some of the control. And I've seen people midway through say, let's go to mediation and see if we can figure this out. And they resolve it within days of, um, of trial. I've seen other families who... Mediation didn't work, they then went to court, they then came back to mediation. And so I stress that don't lose hope, don't lose sight of where things can land. You can do this, you can get through it at any stage of the process. So if you are already divorced and you're dealing with some post-divorce things, go and consider mediation before the two of you go back to court. If you are not yet divorced or have not even filed and you really would like to see what the two of you can kind of work through before the divorce, then give it a try. Give mediation a try. See things through. Talk through the issues with the mediator. And even if you've got 10 issues and you can resolve six and the other four you have a judge decide, you're better for it. Give this process a real try. I strongly believe that mediation is better for families. So if you are questioning whether or not this process is worth it, take it from someone who has been in the divorce and family space for a very long time to say that yes, it is. And this is your sign to give it a good try. I'm not gonna say it's easy, but I'm definitely gonna say it's worth it. And even if it doesn't work out in the end, you have committed to a process You can be proud of the fact that you really did try to see things through, but that in this situation, the two of you needed a decision to be made by somebody else. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And I know that you can do it. I really encourage you to consider mediation as a viable option for your financial and family matters. I really encourage you to commit to the process to educate and empower yourself as a part of mediation and certainly if you still um are not convinced go to growngirldivorce.com send an email. Let us know your questions and concerns and we will do a future episode on uh, the questions and concerns specifically as it relates to mediation because I want to make sure that you have the information that you need to make the best decision for you and your family. As always, thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. I believe that sharing is caring. So please be sure to share this episode or any of our other episodes or our resources with others, because girl, you never know who may need the support. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend. Any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.